My name's Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. There comes a time in one's life when a boy becomes a man, and today is that day for Luis Flores. He'll join the ranks of esteemed guests on this episode of Trainwrecks. He's a member of the Droid Behavior crew, who's also got releases out on labels like Blank Code, and his live sets are so long that you could almost consider them to be marathon live sets. Uh, I met Luis about three or four years ago. Uh, he moved to Berlin, I want to say two years ago maybe, and uh, we've gotten to know each other fairly well since then. Uh, he's a really interesting dude, but as you'll hear in this interview, there's a lot that uh, I didn't know or uh, I just never thought to ask. Um, so we're going to hear a lot about that. We'll start off with a little bit of a history lesson for alternative and rave music in Mexico over the last 20 plus years. Uh, I found that interesting because I literally know nothing about it. You know, so we'll go from the early days of things like uh, industrial and acid house and work our way up to the bigger parties and even some trouble with the cartels. Um, and then we're going to get into a little bit of his, his personal side and see what makes him tick and what his philosophies are on certain things so if you're a fan of Luis I think you'll enjoy it if you have no clue who he is or hard techno isn't particularly your thing I think you'll still find it pretty interesting a uh, couple notes here uh, microphone volumes I don't know if I went into this on the show before but uh, if I haven't bear with me I'm aware of the you know, difference in levels. I'm working on it, and I'm I'm figuring it all out over time. And uh, another question I've been getting lately is uh, in regards to guests. Some people say, "Am I just bringing all my buddies on the show?" Uh, yeah, I am. I don't see a problem with it. I pay for the mics. I pay for the bandwidth. So I'm gonna do what I want. And to be perfectly honest, there's still a lot of people that. Uh, kind of refuse to come on the show or won't even respond to emails both male and female and uh i like to have a good time with my friends on the mic so i'm gonna keep doing it and uh that's the way it is all right have a good one thanks for coming on the podcast today how you doing fine man thank you for having me cool uh let's start from the beginning i was just looking here at uh doing a little research it says here on Wikipedia that you're actually a professional basketball player for the <laughs> Dominican Republic. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Or? Yeah, I think I, I there's somebody that was a football player, a soccer player in Mexico. So, yeah, there's a lot of that uh, in Wikipedia. Yeah. Wasn't you then? No, wasn't me. <laughs> All right. Well, let's 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 talk about your history. You I you know, I'm knowing you for. I guess just three, four years now, if not a little longer. Yeah, about, but, about and of course we've hung around. But like, there's even some bits that I just haven't gone into about discussing with you. So I'm gonna learn a little bit today too. But um, I mean, I know you have a couple passports, but you predominantly is that I'm, a bad well, thing? I predominantly well for in Mexico, right? Yeah, I mean, I I guess that's where people are. I mean. Where they're where they grew up, you know, whatever the passport says, it's kind of like their context. Okay, I just mean. didn't know if like you spent a lot of time in the states as well when you were younger. If it was no, all no, in really. Mexico, no, no. It was, I mean, I studied in the American school. That's uh, and I had cable very young, so uh, that's pretty much where I get the accent, accent or none or mm -hmm. whatever it is. 
but uh no i mean any i spend more time in europe than in the states by far yeah i mean that that's the other thing you, you brought up the accent it's really interesting because a lot of people especially europeans that i meet where their accent is pretty fluent mm-hmm. uh nine times out of ten they say it's because they, like, they either listen to like hip-hop or they watch South Park. <laughs> you know South what I mean? Park. It's it's one of those two things. They always bring those up. And per, especially with hip-hop because, you know, they, they want to shake that accent. They want to sound more American <laughs> when they're trying to rap or something like that. So, uh, Yeah, it was HBO for me, pretty much. Yeah. That was, that was I mean, I, as soon as I was old enough to tell the difference between how I was speaking and how the television sounded, I started to, you know, try to improve or you know, sound as uh, fluent as possible i got you so um you know you, you grew up in mexico you've been kind of like what i read basically is it's been about 15 years that you've been i think now it's a little more um, because i'm 42 so and i'm terrible at updating by bio sure. is it bio 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 biography yeah, yeah. um but uh i mean my first sampler i got when i was 15 okay and i started and or, or i did something like uh seriously by 19 so it's pretty much okay since then. i mean everybody that would know you now knows you solely for for your techno and your sound but i mean was there like what was kind of the process of of moving up towards that uh well it was pretty long i mean it all started, uh, started with radio um because that's how a lot of us met uh, from the same uh, from Guadalajara. Whatever everybody, uh, uh, we found an industrial music radio show around '89, I guess, mm-hmm. and uh, we ended up being invited, and we took our all our music there, and we became part of the show. So then we had our own show, and eventually. I got a sampler, somebody else got some, something else, and we wanted to make um, industrial music. and But we caught it right where it was, you know, crossfading. Yeah. And Which, do you know roughly what years for listeners that are, like, what was this for you? Uh, Late 80s? Yeah. yeah. Uh, 88, like, till 90-something. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, the rave thing started pretty early in Mexico, or at least in Guadalajara. They started throwing parties, I think, 91. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty, pretty on point as when as, as with the rest of the world, and uh, we eventually shifted to that because uh, for me also industrial started to go south with uh, when it went more suburban teen. Yeah, um, like and, I couldn't get down with like uh, later KMFDM and ooh, no, no. you know like well I wouldn't even put it in the same boat but that's what people kind of thought of at that time I mean for me personally I, I market with the first Nine Inch Nails uh, Nine Inch Nails record because mm-hmm. I never really liked the vocal uh, the, the sound of the voice but that was for me the fade out and uh, and actually that's when you think about the music till that point that's when the, the discourse from all the industrial things happens from a narrative thing and it becomes uh, oh I suffer so much me 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 and that kind of shifted everything again to I got you but so you thought Pretty Hate Machine was the downfall or no, the no, no, signal no. I'm, I'm not no. saying I'm, I'm saying to me that marked the uh, maybe doesn't resonate the same way gotcha. also I was getting older so I wasn't the ad- as angry as a 14 year old teenage dude so 
um, it kind of felt just you were kind of moving out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What so at that point, what kind of bands were you into? Um, uh, it was weird because, I mean, I never wanted to be a in a rock band or anything. I always when I decided I wanted to experiment with music, it was directly a sampler because since I was a kid, kid, um, it always. Uh, uh, you know, I always focus on that because my dad had a lot of music uh, like yeah. that, and uh, we I jumped from like Depeche Mode, Morrissey, The Smiths, all that uh, teen preteen yeah. to Front Forty Two, Skinny Puppy, so on and so forth, and we started to collect that like it was a religion, and because we had the radio show, we always try to you know research. Back then, it was obviously pretty hard because there was no internet yeah and um and we try to get as old as uh, possible you know uh, yeah. archive material etc cetera, etc cetera. so when we finally or when i then started uh, the techno thing or interested in techno i was like i'm not gonna f- buy everything now from this thing so it, i pretty much let it be and i'm not gonna try to remember everything because because you're not a teenager anymore so it doesn't you know it doesn't have the same poignancy sure but okay, so I mean, obviously, I I kind of know what was up in America with uh, kind of with you know how industrial was viewed or or rave culture at that time. Obviously, it was more of a counterculture. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, I have no clue what it was like in Mexico. Was it even more uh, like alternative, or what? What what's it like down well, there? Well, I don't even think alternative kind of you know. Uh, narrows it down because it was completely they were un- completely unprepared for what happened because um, you know with the industrial thing there was a lot of uh, angry teenagers and stuff with when it the rave started going on um, it was people from all over like all over the city rich people poor people there's not a racial thing in Mexico as so it, it's more a class uh, problem that there mm-hmm. is and this kind of completely nullified uh, that situation. And you would find any type of, like the whole typical speech about you could find a drag queen, blah, 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 blah. And when the this first um, round of raves uh, peaked, it was like 2,000, 3,000 people every Friday and Saturday. And next week they would change locations, so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Until it got so big that... Um, Somebody in near power or near the religious, uh, you know, uh, community uh, found out, or the kid came back drunk, or something like sure. it exposed the situation. The pretty standard story. Yeah, the typical stuff. Uh, with a difference that in Mexico, if you you know wrong people with enough power, they can shut you down in two seconds, and they eventually. Ended up uh, giving uh, the people that ran the thing or financed the thing um, a license to open a club and some something like that. So they kind of just dropped everything, switched, and us, we kept going, throwing parties. Then we were the ones to deal with the uh, police raids, sure. arrests, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, so this was the early 90s, you said, 92, yeah, 93, think, something 90, like that. Yeah, exactly. Now, I mean, because, for example... Well, when it comes to anything about the music history of the last, I guess, let's say at this point, 30 years now concerning especially that culture, I don't know a damn thing about Mexico. I've played there like twice. Yeah. And in fact, I was talking to Mo when he 
Mo Drumsell, for those who are listening, he played there. I think that was maybe some of the first times he met you. Mm-hmm. And he came back and he's like, man, Mexico is incredible. I'm like, what? And he's like, I played at this party. There's like 5,000 people, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I I had no clue that things were going on there. Well, and- uh, that's what always been one of the problems. I'm not going to say exclusively of Mexico, but of non-English speaking countries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can take any Mexico, Central America, or South America, even Spain, if you think of it in the realm of uh, Europe, mm-hmm. it's pretty it doesn't stand out as much in either production or number of artists mm-hmm. just because the language thing is not happening for them nor the rest so you yeah. don't know what really is happening in in there and mexico has suffered from that since the get-go and i mean because people there why would they want to translate everything into english Be- so people elsewhere would find out or why would people outside want to translate anything into Spanish so people there could understand? So exactly, that's how it is. Yeah, and that's what he was kind of explaining, and I I didn't really know how to word it eloquently without sounding like Mexico doesn't know what's up. But like basically, it's just yeah, there's there's the language barrier, and that kind of causes um, like not misinformation, but just a lack of it. I mean, uh, information that happens, you know the. Uh, a lot of weird things happens, as in some people are very big there that you don't understand oh, yeah. why there and why not somewhere else, or vice versa, because of this informa- information uh, uh, hurdle. But um, but the mostly is like people there find out like are interested in it. Uh, they don't have, uh, I mean, they don't follow RA, for example, because yeah. to them it's like a, it's more like a top fifty every year. That's pretty yeah. much it. Or you can post your event or something, but it's not uh, it's not involved in the same way. Yeah, maybe it changed now recently with the BPM thing, and it's still very segmented. As in, it's still something that you're importing, not exporting. So um, it's always there's always a sense of isolation in more mm-hmm. than one sense. Yeah. Do you see BPM's influence really affecting what's going on in Mexico, or is that a very singular kind of thing? No, no, no. Actually, I think BPM is the 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 outcome of what's going on in Mexico because um, in Mexico City the scene has always been weird since industrial music uh, it's the biggest city well it was the biggest city in the world so anything kind of gathers a lot of uh, uh, humans around sure. it uh, but it doesn't go even leave Mexico City because it's such a bi- big uh, ecosystem mm-hmm. it kind of sustain itself so um, um even within mexico it's kind of segregated between cities there people that listen to techno are low class as in uh, low money income people yeah. and house is actually you know upper so class a, yeah so that kind of sets the tone for bpm and so on and so forth and Guadalajara, it's pretty much everybody that likes one thing probably likes the other thing and the the club or the clubs that play uh, electronic music will have one night techno one night house multi-format without yeah. even letting people know they'll just assume people are there and we'll get it okay so in the mid 90s uh you know what who were the djs like did you have a lot of the names that everybody would know coming in or were you kind of building your own heroes at the time or um we always had uh i think our own heroes and and I mean, everybody does to an extent, yeah, yeah. but was, was there much of the influence yeah, from um, America or Europe? No, or? we were 
like all the Circa events in LA and that problem when it hit CNN, mm -hmm. that New Year's Eve party. I mean, everybody knew about that. Um, a lot of people go back and forth to LA and Mexico, so so that's um, common. And um, we knew what was going what was happening in Europe and and the states, and we were going through our own version of it. I think. Uh, I'm obviously not here, but in the in England and the U.S., mm -hmm. uh, there was problem with government and repression. So uh, it uh, kind of fit the whole uh, global scene in that sense. I hear you. So around that time, I mean, obviously these days you're known for live sets. Were you already back then when you were playing? Like, what what was your role at this point? Were you playing? Were you a promoter? Like, what was up? I think we've done, uh, and we've, and I, I say we because i cannot kind of separate myself from all my friends that were of course, doing yeah. that um did everything had a record shop uh promoted parties had the radio show had another radio show um then made music then had a record label like we try to we kind of did everything at one point not mm -hmm. everything at the same time but yeah uh we played designer all the roles yeah engineer whatever and um, um, eventually there were, I mean, after the 10 years of struggling with, uh, with the government, we kind of finally made it, integrated the thing into sure. the local culture. Um, then Bar America started, and then now it's been 11 years since then, so it kind of stabilized a while ago and that actually allowed for growth uh, either for individual artists or you know businesses mm -hmm. around it and that never happened in mexico city i mean they never had as much struggle with the government as we did but it, it's always this kind of fluctuating it adds scene. a certain legitimacy right with bar americas yeah yeah yeah, so. So. yeah actually yeah of course because I guess everybody's been through there. I mean, not it's kind everybody. of a legendary uh, spot as far as yeah, you yeah. Know, I, Central America goes. So yeah, we yeah we've you can see at one point everybody walked through there. Even people that are not hyped at the moment. Yeah, yeah. You know, just like, kind of whoever happens to be around. Yeah, yeah. And or, then you got people like even Chris Liebing or yeah, yeah. Richie or whoever they've come through. And yeah, they had a uh, Chris once. They had Hutton and. Uh, one of the anniversaries, mm -hmm. and after, like after we settled things with the government, they actually started funding uh, some of the festivals and stuff we wanted to do, and that also generated some kind of free show, free festival, free music uh, culture. So one of Bar America's anniversaries also was free. Actually, it's they're all been free. Okay, so, so interesting. One, Richie and uh, Kevin. Okay. was there and uh geyser was there mm -hmm. that was a free show and so on and so forth so it's never been the big events have are mostly free i think awesome so but i mean i, I guess i still wasn't clear at that point y you've never dj'd right or you oh, did no definitely not I, okay of so all the roles yeah i've never done that. so you never dj'd so at this point when you were playing you would be doing a live thing basically yeah when we when i started making music or when we were interested in music i it, it was either get records mm -hmm. and that was a chore because sure. you would have to order them because there were no local stores and spend a lot of money on that uh, or buy gear eventually so mm -hmm. I, I went the the gear way since the get-go and i stuck with that got you and i mean you know still today you're 
all live set. We were just at Superbooth, uh, which is kind of like a, another trade show with a lot of synthesizers and stuff. And, you know, you, you're not diving into the modular thing full on, but you're still into the... You, no, you're doing I'm a, assisted a lot, actually. I mean, and, and the thing is, at one point, this whole... The lag between Mexico and the rest of the world was uh, uh, especially beneficial to us because they didn't know... They didn't get the whole analog is uh worth something uh, so you got a lot of awesome we, deals yeah, we got everything nothing cost more than 200 dollars, and i mean expanders and jupiters wow. and do you still 99s. have any of that stuff or i'm coming to that <laughs> okay we were still uh it was we still had a big board mm-hmm. to um, have everything running and everything it, we still had a midi sequencer there was no audio in the computer so um if you wanted to work on a track and then work on another track, it was impossible because you had to write everything down and reset it. And obviously it didn't yeah. sound the same ever. It's and analog for you. Yeah. And for some reason we didn't have a dad or anything respectable to record on. So it was just shit. And we did that enough times. So when computers turned and just, you know, got to the level where audio was uh, affordable and uh, decent, I didn't think about it twice and sold everything. So uh, the gear I got later was just specific for uh, for live purposes. As pretty much the when I traded in the Vermona for the modular stuff, it's specifically for live and to make it lighter and you know, more compact. And awesome. Yeah, I definitely want to touch down on, on on a little bit more of the gear thing in a little bit here, um, but we'll just kind of go chronologically here. So, you know, that's at that point, we're kind of getting, I guess, into the 90, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, what, so what time did you start meeting the droid guys who eventually become part of the crew? Well, we spent the 90s, like, you know, focus on uh, specifically dance music. We kind of veered all over the place, yeah. drama, bass, house, techno. Um, we kind of narrowed it down by the beginning of the... 2000s and we got a record deal with EMI as a sub label for them mm-hmm. so we I spent half a half a decade doing that and went through the all the cliches related to big labels and indie labels sure. lawyers lawsuits etc and around 2006 I went back to just work by myself and I just went back to techno pretty much mm-hmm. so I kind of reset everything again and a year or two year, uh, two years later, I met Mole at, at one of these shows, and uh, that's uh, we became friends pretty much ever since. Awesome. So, I guess I mean, like you said, you went through all the genres. Um, you know, what was it that kind of where you decided, okay, it's techno for me. That's what's up. I mean, I guess the industrial influence, but yeah, is there um, any more to it? Or well, mm, I think that's pretty. That that's a big part of it, but. When I decided just, uh, I don't want to deal with the record label again, or I don't want to deal with other artists or that stuff again. So I just want to, you know, go back to making music. Uh, the first thing that came to mind was that, because I didn't have to think about it. As in, that would be the most natural thing. And I started working, had an incredible pace, uh, because nobody, because, you know, I just did it for me at that point. Sure. And, uh, eventually when people wanted to release something or the other and people start to pay attention then it becomes kind of it starts to shift to like a job if you if you will um 
and there's more pressure uh, you know related to it and the speed of uh, production also slows down mm-hmm. but you know on the other hand then you can live from that so sure. it's also good okay so um th- that means uh it says roughly that at least under your your own name you put out your first record around 2009 something like that actually yeah or I, I, my i did a, my first solo release by the beginning of 2000 and it was before just as we were gonna get the record label deal with mm-hmm. uh, emi and um it was happening when electronic music was exploding completely in Mexico as in as in the country. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, when we started doing the labels uh, uh, around that whole thing. And and that's I did a couple of solo releases, but that's pretty much it. So uh, at that time, was it was it techno no, or what were actually, you making? No, it was uh, one was drum and bass and the other one was a uh, housey mm, maybe, but not even it was more of the weird fusion stuff like so you're just kind of getting your feet wet seeing what suited you or yeah we're trying to find something that wasn't something that kind of sounded like mexico does it without being world music yeah i I mean Uh, uh, trying to find exactly what a taste of home or something yeah in a way but without being the because the first thing you i i guess people think is how uh, latin house and obviously Mm -hmm. that doesn't even work there so because latin house yeah, but I mean, there's so many stereotypes attached to Mexico that you're like, actually, you're thinking of either Spain or somewhere in South America, like it's so... Or Puerto Rico, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? So, you know, people think that, uh, you know, like, for example, all the stuff that Luciano was playing with, I call it like Chilean farmer yeah. techno or house or whatever, like that. Yeah, that's uh, that was always also weird with us because, the, I mean... Latin America doesn't think of Chile as the musical Latin sure, representation. Yeah. It's more Cuba or Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. even Mexico, you know, but, um, and also the association of, yeah, I mean, Conga is Mexico. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it kind of, well, we, we're trying to work through that. And through all that process, that's how we got that uh, deal. And we spent five years trying to make that work. And we also enjoyed um, working with a, very large budget mm-hmm. just before mm, big Everything labels went, down. Yeah, went yeah. under. So we kind of last got the last wave of it and also got our uh, feet wet with uh, lawyers and so on and so forth. So it was a whole experience. I think we're a bit too young to be handling that level of business mm-hmm. part at the same time working with friends and putting money in the equation. Sure. Always a problem eventually. And at the end, that's why it's easier just to work alone. You know? Definitely. I mean, so um, without getting too far ahead, just so I don't remember, forget this later, you know, working alone, do you ever have ideas of maybe a, a label or something for the future? Or? I mean, I've resisted to that a lot of times because I, you know, I, I know it's part of the shtick. And what I don't want to do is, do it as a shtick so i've always i've it's always been uh when i started when we were doing the label uh, on form i stopped making music mm-hmm. so i pretty much became either a secretary or manager or everybody else's producer mm-hmm. and i mean producer in the old sense yeah so under that whole thing i did at least two or three records with other bands so um 
by the end, I was like, well, this is completely counterproductive because the whole point of having a label was, you know, putting music out. And and when I started just making music and worrying about putting it in other labels, mm -hmm. that kind of just solved that problem. And now maybe, you know, I would consider it, but definitely uh, I, can, I have, you know, um, it's my Vietnam. Sure, of course. <laughs> So, uh, you know, let's we'll wrap up towards the the end of the the history lesson part of this here. You know, at this point, we're kind of getting towards the late two thousands. Um, you know, it, it goes without saying it start things started getting a little crazy in Mexico with the violence and whatnot. Um, yeah, of course, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> How do you forget about that? <laughs> I completely skipped about. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's, I don't know if, I'm pretty sure that it doesn't happen with every country. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody has a stereotype of some, of everything, you know? Yeah. It's a, everybody has a preconceived image of whatever, but Mexico seems to have a large collection of a lot of negative ones. So mm. violence uh, was just piling on and it really got terrible. But I mean, was it as bad as the media says or? I mean, the, the country or at is least very in big. your the in premier experience. I mean, yeah, the country is compared to Germany. I mean, it's three times as big, pretty mm -hmm. much. Uh, and what happens at the border is like another country completely. So I'm sure in the U.S. nobody thinks about well, what's happening in El Paso with all the shootings and the other side because you know it's so far away from New York. Yeah. So you hear about everything, and if you're uh, well, if you're lucky enough to not be in the crossways, it doesn't really affect you. Yeah. Or if you're not in the business, it really doesn't affect you. I mean, it's not like you go out of the out of your house and they're shooting. There's yeah. I mean, they they make it the media makes it seem like there's a lot of random violence, and I don't know that that's really the case. No, I mean, no, no. There is. I mean, now there is, but it doesn't have to do anything to do uh, with a uh, you know drug war, uh, the drug problem. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a very specific business, if you will. Sure. Uh, like you got to be in the business or at yeah. least associated to uh, yeah, find yeah. trouble. Either a policeman, one side, the other side, part of the other government, the mm -hmm. buyers, etc. It's not like they're going to, oh, you just got caught in the crossways uh, mm -hmm. of the cross shooting uh, randomly. No, it's very, very, it's like getting hit by a lightning kind of stuff. Yeah. But every now and then, or when you see something terrible, it also doesn't, I mean, I've seen my share of uh at something terrible and at least in my experience it's like well it had to happen because you know uh eventually it'll be your you know you'll watch something horrible because something horrible it's happening. inevitable sort of but uh i mean i didn't it didn't mark me in any way i can say last time i was in mexico i about three or four times in my life, I've had a gun pointed at me, and it happened there. Ooh. But I don't know that it was... It was Mexico City? I was just outside of Tijuana. Uh, I had a fifty cal pointed at me. I, and, I mean, people that... But I listen, everything was cool, but I'm just saying, like, uh, I don't know. How, I, is that, how is everything cool? I mean, how... Well, I'm sitting here at the table, you know... Just, you know I mean, how how... How did that situation come to be? We just got pulled over. Oh, so police. I don't, I don't know if it was like not. Uh, I don't know what the hell it was. I don't know if it was a 
undercover military thing oh, or if it was a uh, cartel, but well, you know, um, either way, I'm not trying to paint a bad no, picture, no, no, but no, no. I can say the rest of that trip I have, cause that's, I was just kind of like, all right, maybe, maybe this was a mistake. But after that, I got to say I had an amazing time there. No, you know? I mean, I, I'm not going to deny that there's shit around because if it's shit, it's shit. And, yeah. uh, I would, uh, in my opinion, pretty much everything around the border, it's mm -hmm. terrible in both ends, as in you wouldn't want to live there, yeah. except San Diego, which is, you know, the best part of Tijuana. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but uh, also a lot of people get that, yeah, I've been in Mexico, I was in Tijuana, and that definitely is not Mexico because that's kind of like the asshole of the universe. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's... That's an exception in every sense, you know, culturally and... I think everywhere has a place like that in a way. And that's all border. That's all border towns. Yeah. I think also uh, with the south. But, but I got to say I was maybe an hour outside of Tijuana along the coast there, the water, and it was pretty fucking nice. It wasn't, I, it didn't feel like a, what some people might clichely describe as a dirty border town or something like that. Yeah, or, but you're now you're probably you were near Ensenada or par other parts of the state. And, okay. uh, and it's, as soon as you leave that border side or that like fringe with mm -hmm. the states, it gets pretty good pretty quick. So, I mean, in general, it's a very beautiful country. Just that it has a shit government. That's the same people that uh, all governments us. are. Man, I'm not. I'm not getting on a political tirade, but everybody's gonna have complaints about no, the no, government. No, no, no. I mean, so. I know, and I know. I hate a lot of governments, but obviously, I hate Mexican government the most. So. Mm. And yeah. I'm going to blame them for everything, and I'll leave it at that. Fair enough. So, um, I mean, just because you're obviously, you're living in Europe now. But before that, like, at the tail end of, of making tracks and, and playing parties or doing parties or whatever, I mean, because of violence, did you, was there, like, trouble with cartels? Or was that more on the, the higher-end money-making party side of things? Or, I mean, or is it non-existent? There was never um, violence associated with uh, parties, in, at least in Guadalajara or that part of the country. The only violence that happened at one point was the police, you know? Mm -hmm. So there was never, uh, oh, the clubs are going down because people are not going out. I mean, no, mm -hmm. no, that never really happened. Nor in Mexico City, nor in most of the beaches. Yeah. Probably happened in the border towns. But well, but I'm not, not even so much violence, but it's like the... Did they want a piece of the action? Or? Oh yeah, that's happened. That's okay, for sure happened. because I didn't know if like that was not even worth discussing as far no, as no, a no, money making no, no. venture. That, that, I mean that it's not that. I think uh, in part of the north, uh, they even collected uh, you know protection money. Yeah, yeah. that well, that's what I assumed. Either they're in on it, or you got to pay them off. And or or they force themselves into the club and i'm like i'm gonna put this guy selling stuff oh yeah you cannot do anything about he's it. the guy yeah yeah and, and and he'll harass anybody that has any s drugs that are not from him mm -hmm. so obviously that's not exactly the party mood you want to go to that happens a lot of places in the world but eventually everybody seems to get used to it and mm. they get ass hammered with their stuff than with other people's stuff so yeah everybody uh, i guess it's a human trait Everybody gets accustomed to everything or every situation at sure. one point. I mean, it just kind of becomes an arm after a while. Like yeah, you don't, yeah. even, you don't well, even. The, think the about fact it. of the matter is, a lot of people don't even realize what's maybe going on behind the scenes or whatever. So yeah, I completely agree. And and obviously, you know, corrupt policemen are not are not exclusive to Mexico either. But yeah, sometimes mm. you know just don't think about it. Yeah, 
it's part of life. <laughs> yep. Um. So yeah, then you eventually decided it's time to get the hell out and move to Europe. You- it wasn't specifically. I mean, we started, or I started to come to Europe uh, around. I mean, for gigs around two thousand nine, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it was this back and forth, as you know, the yep. Mo and David. We've all the, done it. Yeah, and eventually they, the Spanish. Uh, government decided they were gonna uh, grant citizenship to people that fleed the war. Mm-hmm. My grandparents were one of them, so I got uh, special uh, the Spanish uh, citizenship through that. And as soon as I got the passport, I moved uh, like months later. Yeah, I recall that. Like it was, it was a pretty quick process. Yeah, it was yeah, two years ago. Yeah, two or, years. So I mean. Uh, is the grass still green on this side, or, or how are you feeling it over here at the moment? Um, I actually, uh, I it's been the best thing. I mean, obviously, work-wise, it's one of the best decisions. Sure. But it kind of put me in a situation where all I could do was work, as mm-hmm. in the studio or on the studio, yeah, or on the set. So. Uh, I start to enjoy it again after you know doing it a while in Mexico, uh, uh, to the point that it becomes kind of like you gotta do homework, you know, for school, and like you're uh, you're then trying to work or you know procrastinate as much as possible until you get to it, and then it just started to you know enjoy it again a lot. So yeah, I have no complaints at all. Yeah, I mean, like you, you really, you know, a lot of people kind of. Well, you know, we're in Berlin. A lot of people at first, they, they kind of come here and party their ass off. And then either they miss the plot and go home or then they get serious. But you kind of got serious right away. You got a house locked down. You built a nice little studio. Um, you know, you're, you're changing your live rig up a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, it was also uh, uh, context and luck, you know, mm-hmm. uh, everything around that. And eventually, yeah, I finally got to the point of I don't want to carry the box anymore because every weekend thing flight yeah. in and out and problems with airlines so uh, that's uh, why I updated recently the whole uh, live rig and um, and in that, I mean I, I have no complaints and I can't be uh, I would sound terribly you know conceited if I dare to you know say something bad about anything because I've been lucky in every sense so yeah yeah, I mean, um, so, you know, you in the course of the last couple of years, you've, you've done stuff again for Droid. Uh, you did one on Blank Code. Was that as yourself or was that with Andre, uh, um, Material Object? I can't remember. With Blank Code, I did, they did one project with, that was called... Um, Impact Unit? No, I mean, that was with oh. Andre. Uh, with Blank Code, it was, um, they did a compilation where they gave samples to everybody oh yeah and they did they did their own thing with that mm-hmm. so as part of that i had a solo ep and a another one with mo is about to hit yep uh, with and with droid i've had uh these i released a year yeah and and clr too oh yeah see that was a little last know, year two years ago i don't i yeah two years ago mm-hmm. because we just changed years so yeah oh. we just um and I don't know, kind of, you know how it goes. I mean, you meet somebody, they have a label, you sure. like them, oh, sure, let's do this thing, and so on. Just so kind of ripping off really, each other. Yeah, exactly. I don't really think about it too much. N- now I know you got to really think about that, but 
I mean, yeah, at one point it was, yeah, output here or output there. I kind of miss that, man. It's like everybody these di- everybody these days is really strategizing. Like, yeah, I mean. Obsessively. And I don't know. It really took me a while to get it, you know. It, it did. It mm-hmm. really did. Because, um, for instance, in Mexico, electronic music has always been political. Yeah. Even just because it is music, electronic music. And even in the States, I think it's still more political now because it never got established and it's always been struggling and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you assume everybody in, understands things as so and you're going to go to Europe and everybody and everything is the same thing. But here it's been established so long, it's part of the culture, that completely part of the yeah, culture. Yeah, I mean, it's normal. Yeah, that there is this distinction between what is good and what is bad and what it's what's uh you know valid now what isn't now and when you get here it's like i don't understand you know i don't get it why is this commercial and this is not because it pretty much sounds the same the it's crazy you know like i've had friends come over from the united states and you know we'll go out for a couple of drinks or a dinner and i'll kind of talk to them and then it's just kind of like the whole world opens up for them like what you what do you mean? That label is considered bullshit, yeah, or like yeah, yeah, this yeah. is considered uh, underground, underground, or like over, yeah, yeah. you know, like in America, or I'm assuming also in Mexico, the Americans in general, yeah. it's it's all either underground or you're like that label seems slightly more successful than the other. There's no like, <laughs> what do you mean if I, if I do a record on this label, I can't it's work bad. with that yeah. one? It's like yeah, uh, high yeah, school or something. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and it's very hard to get your head around it until you're here and and you know look at it for a while and you go oh, okay. Now I get it. It's completely made up. Yeah. In, it's an arbitrary system. It's, it's all not, perception. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like, cause, because, I've, you know, I've done stuff on drum code and there's labels. I've had, you know, friends that run cool, uh, purest kind of labels and they're like, uh, I would gladly take a record from you if, if the right tracks came around, but you'd have to change your name. Like, you know, and I'm just uh, like, really? You know, and they're like, well, you know, I'm Yeah, because a my name worried. is my name, by the way. So yeah, yeah and I'm like, well, okay, so you don't want to be associated with something? I'm like, in my, I guess I came from this era where it didn't matter. You know, yeah, you could take I, I like somebody like Kerry Lakebush, he's done electro, he's done techno, hip hop, and yeah, nobody exactly. gives a shit. They're just like, oh, but he does his thing, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, and, and actually back then, genres cross-pollinated all the time so electro and techno and there was no detroit techno either it was just like this you know massive thing okay there was house etc but uh now it's even subdivisions of techno or this dark thing or this other and yeah i mean it's very it's a it's a hard adjust adjustment to do or to understand and again at one point it's like okay so it's it's literally a very uh, personal uh, decision the tastemakers make, you know? That, yeah. Because there's no, if you, some of the stuff, if you look at, uh, listen to it objectively, it's pretty much the same thing, you know? Definitely. I mean, there's, well, and, but that that's just it. Like, you can generalize, like, for some, for example, some people assume that, like, uh, what's the name that, let, let, let's use somebody like Ben Clark or Marcel Detman because those are names that almost everybody on the podcast knows. There's still a lot of people that think that those guys are solely just hard techno DJs. But you you and I have both, both, uh, both heard them numerous times, 
And there's way more to it than just that. And, you know, a lot of stuff they put out isn't necessarily hard. So it's like you can generalize, but at the same time, on the flip side, a lot of it does kind of just blend together. So, like, who's right or who's wrong? No, yeah, the, the, even to add some more confusion to it, I've actually heard both of them in Bar Americas and here. Mm-hmm. And they actually and they, they do play in a different manner because obviously part of the work is to adapt to the situation. Sure. But I've heard uh, Marcel Fengler also. I've heard one of his best sets there. So mm-hmm. his best sets there. So um, so it's not as strict as people think it is. You know, it's only this thing or it's only that thing. I mean, it, it is very fluent and, it, uh, mm-hmm. and it changes constantly. Yeah, and I, I mean, like we said a few minutes ago, it just really comes down to perception, and it's getting borderline obnoxious. You know, it's it's picky, and and. And the other thing is, it only applies to this scene. And, and this scene, yeah. I mean, in this city, good or bad, whatever it is. But because as soon as you go out, the rules are completely different. Mm-hmm. And it kind of changes from well, place to it, place. It, it definitely mellows out a lot outside of this city. But I can say Europe still retains that more than the United States. Like, uh, in the United States, if you go to play it for a techno promoter or a club they have no problem mixing up like let's say Luis Flores one night and then the next month it might be um I don't know like a Paco Suna or like one of these kind of guys like it's all a techno thing whereas in Europe you have these promoters that are like we only book you know Luis Flores and this kind of like bang and shit and then there's clubs that are like we well we only book tale of us we'll never have the hard stuff yeah, exactly. or, you know um I guess that's because you know, all of this has been established here in a more steady way since longer than yeah. anywhere else. So they have their own set of rules. Audiences. And, 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 yeah, and, you know, at the end of the day, you just got to try to understand how the things are going. But just a lot of people never realize how other stuff happens in other sure. places, you know. But, I mean, I think one of the nice things that maybe you see it differently, but I think you luck out on it is that because you're not a DJ, you're not necessarily bothered by the trends or what, you know, like, no. I mean, maybe you get inspiration, but it seems like you kind of are just like, I'm going to do my thing. And if you're into it, you're into it. Otherwise. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Because I have less options and, you know, I have to you know, solve it with what I got. But since the beginning, I didn't want to be this one hour thing. So yeah, you play like, at up to four hour live sets. You said you even did what seven hours? Seven, once? seven and a half. And but wow. those those couple of times were like a situation where you can go like you can play as long as you want. When you get tired, you tell this guy he'll take over. True. And when you take the pressure off, it's just like ah, it's just one thing happens, and um, and then you're seven hours into it, and then okay, I'm, I'm like I'm done. Uh, but um. You still like listen to other people's uh, sets, either live or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you oh, so everything's going faster now, or everything's going sure. You can down. get some of those kind of ideas, yeah, or yeah, uh, and uh, I mean, yeah, I don't follow exactly every everybody's release and every label, which I don't know if it's good or bad. Um, but you pay I, attention you, to relevancy is what you're getting. Yeah, at. exactly. You 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 have to you know be. I mean, you feel it. It's important to, to stay relevant. It doesn't mean you have to copy things or, yeah, yeah. but at least know what's up, you know? And, and yeah, especially because 
the whole thing is to to you know to change all the time i mean that was the whole idea about techno when i got into it at least how i got it was uh what's new and how can you push it that way or mm-hmm. or what have what hasn't been done and um now maybe it's cycling i think it's cycling for the first time i, I mean maybe i'm wrong completely but uh house i saw it do it over and over again since the beginning it was like recycling disco music yeah and eventually did the whole electro thing and went back to it blah 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 jazz whatever and um and techno hadn't done that till recently when it started to go faster maybe it'll pick up the travel yeah, thing it's again, kind of switching up and which i guess it's a whole new generation of people doing it for the first time yeah well you know i've i've kind of had my own personal revelations in the last couple of weeks just how i mean I, this is not news to me i know that there's kind of a general turnover every Ten years. i used to think three to, well three to four years these days with kids because oh. you know like um they kind of go through it through college or whatever well there's a 10 year like where the whole clock turns and yeah, things yeah, get yeah, faster like, and slower but i'm saying happens even. a lot of people are kind of into this music for a few years in their early 20s or whatever and then they kind of yeah drift off up. and some people stick around you know like there's a lot of people right now that have no clue that the minimal thing ever happened mm-hmm. in fact there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that realize well not that they're always focusing on me but people who do enjoy my sets or my music they have no clue that i did a album two years ago you know yeah, what i'm saying yeah. oh, and obviously that's a good sign because that's that means people are getting into it for the first time every, mm-hmm. uh, every day but but um that, to me, that's kind of weird also because when I got into electronic music or whatever it was, industrial, I had to know everything about it, you know? I had yeah. to how where did it come from, who did it, why? And uh, I thought everybody was the same. Obviously, some people are more obsessive. We were at a point, I think. Yeah, I think it was, it was very new to everything. So mm-hmm. everybody that gravitated towards that were very excited about it. And... Um, and now, like for example, when minimal came around, I thought techno was minimal. Not, not that it sounded like minimal. I thought techno by nature was minimal. So I was like, "What is this minimal thing? What are yeah. you taking away from? Like, what what's removed? old surgeon records were considered minimal or yeah. Mills even, you know?" And but then, then you okay, that's minimalistic. This is minimal exactly. And or like tech house, I tech house for me was a completely different thing. It was this middle ground between like we were saying earlier, like. Yeah. Ian Pooley and shit like that. Yeah, in a and way. Uh, all the Plastic City stuff mm-hmm. and Kenneth Graham and the Control Team stuff and mm-hmm. Dave Alvarado. And then it's this thing again. It's like, oh, so this is Tech House. So I'm completely clueless. Or who decided this thing? Like, oh, shit. Okay, this is Tech House. And, well, Techno also shifted from the Detroit thing to the whatever thing is now. So mm-hmm. you hear to the Detroit thing now, it sounds like House back then. Yeah, I mean, there's a, it's interesting, uh, there's not too many, at least in the more banging side of things, there's not a whole lot of Detroit influence in, in the records right now, like... Well, but Underground Resistance and Jeff Mills, that was pretty banging. Oh, yeah, 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 but I'm, I'm saying, like, uh, records that are coming out today, or what DJs are playing, there's a lot of, like, nod to, like, the Chicago thing, I could, I think we can think, like, David Flores, Truncate, and... And like Ben Clark and those guys, they love to play jack the tracks. Jacking, that's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of my uh, inspiration too. But th- there's there's not a lot of Detroit influence in the music at the moment. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to a, 
older Detroit stuff, it was pretty much their take on house music. Yeah. You know? So they even, no, I'm, I'm sure they're more than one of them stated, stated as such. Uh, then it, I think the difference became when the un- whole underground resistance thing started to happen, became overtly aggressive and, st- and, and such. Um, mm, I, sorry, I got completely lost in the... I think, well, we were just talking about how I was I was saying I didn't think there was a whole lot of Detroit influence in techno at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I would think it would sound like house music, what or what now is considered house music. Yeah. You know? And funny enough, that Chicago's music is more referential than Detroit. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm pretty big at this because I, I'm not up to date. Yeah, you're not. Yeah. But okay, so let's let's go into your your sound for a minute. I mean. You know, as we mentioned before, you've done stuff on Droid, Blank Code, CLR. This is a bit more tougher, industrial leaning, pretty dark and atonal in a way. Um, so do you ever see yourself like saying, I'm going to experiment with adding in chords or anything like this? Or uh, I actually, people uh, could get a better idea of what I do if they also listen to the remixes because... I take a lot of liberties with them mm-hmm. and also for some reason it's easier for me to work on a remix um, and, uh, and if you take that into account there's actually more uh, melodic stuff than in my personal stuff mm-hmm. and uh, there's also the stuff uh, we're working Mo and I are working on that is also has melody although it, it keeps mm-hmm. the whole dark grinding stuff uh, the, the style but um, I'm not at odds with it in any terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just do what I think. What you feel at the time, sure. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, do you, like, do you ever do you ever sit here and be like, you know, at some point before I, you know, either call it quits on on music or die or whatever? Like, do you have do you have a certain album you would like to produce someday, like a passion project or not really? I think uh, hopefully I'll just. I, I'll be happy if we finish the album we're doing right now because uh, when we started working on this non-techno stuff and or non-dance floor mm-hmm. without so to not limit what what we're doing, um, um, it was as easy to do and fluent as uh, it was techno in the beginning when you were not thinking about it, and this is you would think is more complex or different and sure. and it. It happens the in a in an organic matter. So, I I would just I would be happy if I can finish this stuff and publish it as an album because I have this reference of what an album should be since I was a kid. Yeah. And uh, and I've done other people's albums. I mean, as I've worked with other people in their albums and stuff. So it has to be this special. I mean, maybe too much pressure on myself. No, but I get it. Put it on a pedestal. Yeah. I mean, it has to, at least. I'm happy. If, I I would be satisfied satisfied just being happy with it, which is a lot. Sure. Um, and have it be a whole piece, not a you know, a track collection kind of thing. Definitely. I mean, I I could say the same. Like my what my album eventually turned into being was a essentially a track collection, and not you know like a lot of people be like, oh, you know, so and so's album sounded like just three piece put together which is exactly what mine was, but I kind of geared it towards that because I came, when I was starting to listen to drum code when I was younger, I was into the tracky shit. So I'm like, let's do this. Um, But in the, at, at first with the process, I, 
I kind of feel the same way as you. Like I had this vision that it's kind of got to be a concept, not an opus, but like, yeah, there's like this, it's this big, it's this presentation. It's something more. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Narrative in a way. And I, I started working on that and it just, I wasn't comfortable with my skills as a producer at the time. Um, to get to where I wanted to be. Um, that's, uh, I mean, but if you, I go and listen to the stuff uh, I consider, you know, genius in one way or the other. And obviously the, the, the most interesting part is they were actually much younger and they just, just didn't give a shit. And, yeah. And stuff that you wonder how they did it. It's like accidents or stuff. True. And at the end, it just has to, you know, fit together in a way. And also it might be shit for somebody. It might be genius to somebody. The mm -hmm. point is if you're satisfied with a the thing, then, you know, then it floats. Uh, but then again, I'm talking about non-techno, non-functional sure. dance floor stuff, uh, which brings pretty much opens the door to anything. And, and that also is a bit more easy to do than a strictly techno album that would be pretty hard well yeah that's the other part you know when you make techno music it's very um kevin and bivlin he, he put this right he's like you know a lot of these techno guys it's not really being an artist it's being more of a designer because by definition you're designing a product for a specific use i mean it's a loose i mean but I, I you think know where i'm going with this and yeah i think it's uh I agree in a way, and in the other, I think it's a little bit leaning towards one side. I think it's exactly right the middle between what art is and what you know functional sure. is, which would be what artisans do instead mm -hmm. of artists. Um, but it's actually, I think it's harder to have that in mind. That's what I mean. It would be hard harder to make a techno record because well, yeah, you have to keep it artsy and interesting, and at the same time, it has to be functional. So it's a lot of rules to work that with. that's where i was going with it it's like you not only expected to prove yourself as an artist but you're also expected to prove uh you know be a designer and have it serve a function which is to you know be an awesome dance floor track yeah, or whatever and uh that's that's tough i mean each of those on their own is tough now you're going to try and combine them it's uh yeah and especially to do an album under that much uh, under such a self-conscious context you know like okay this has to work here and there has to it, it's exactly the opposite process of okay let's see what happens with uh in the studio or or i want to go this way or that way musically it becomes kind of like a you know battle between uh, marketing and creatives you know and yeah that it would be nightmarish for sure definitely i mean i i don't know i'm kind of you know, as we come into the summer and stuff, I'm I'm toying with the ideas of like what's next if I'll do another album or you know, like I, I actually was thinking about starting it last year and I decided my project would be this podcast. Don't know if that's really I paying think, off I, or I not, but I think it's the, the podcast is worth it for sure. Cool. Well thanks. Um but yeah, anyway, uh you know I'm I'm definitely come having to decide like, okay, so what is this gonna be? Is this gonna be for the club or is it going to be for home and then when where you settle on it and uh yeah uh yeah I th it's a i think it's a terrible way to approach a situation and and i say this with empathy because i've always thought like how come i've never been able to finish a whole thing by myself i've been able to do other people's stuff or da 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 but it's 
you were thinking about too much stuff. The emotion comes into it. Like, put it this way. You know, I, I used to have an IT career before I did music. And I could sit at the office all day and fix people's computers, like bring shit back from the dead, <laughs> pull uh, stuff off of bad hard drives. Yeah. But like the moment that like my studio machine goes down, you panic. you're like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. I've lost everything. I didn't back yeah. up. I'm a fucking idiot. Like, and you freak out. And because it, you freeze. Yeah. That, there's a reason why doctors can't operate yeah, on their own fl- family. You know, the emotion takes over. But when it's not your shit, you're kind of just like, whatever. Uh, you're clear headed and you can get it done. Yeah, yeah detachment so. completely. I, I agree completely. That's why when we started doing the, when Mo and I started uh, doing this alternate thing, that's why it was such a, like a joy, you know, because it was like, yeah, let's see. Uh, doesn't matter which tempo fun. is it. Yeah. Okay. Just, you like it. Everything, everything works. And I hadn't worked with somebody since, I don't know, 15 years ago, because I also didn't want to deal with anybody else's opinion. And so it was, uh, it's good to share the responsibility, you know? It's good to share it, but it's it's hard to find the person that you can work well yeah, with. It's it's uh, Yeah, it's a kick in the balls for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you don't always get your way. Uh, yeah, that's why I pretty much end, uh, stopped working with people because at, at one point it's like, I don't want to compromise what I, my opinion, you know? Yeah. If I don't like it, I don't like it. That's it. might be idiotic, but why do it if you don't want to? So. Well, it's always interesting when you... Uh, see these kind of duos that come up over time. It doesn't matter what genre, but like even in dance music, like whether it's techno guys and shit. And then you wake up one day and you see something on one of the blogs or RA or something you read in there or on Facebook now. It's like so and so has split up. I'm like, whoa, big fucking surprise. You know what I mean? Because it's uh, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's bound to happen. Like there's yeah. only so much shit you can tolerate from someone. No, I mean my 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 hat to a lot of record bands like the stones and stuff that how how, how do they manage Dude. you know to coexist at uh, this age yeah. i mean that relationship has lasted more than all of their marriages mm-hmm. uh, but um and also the weird part about touring duos especially when they're djs for some reason it seems every one is always trying to be you know more pumping and the other one's trying to be deeper on every turn well, yeah have. but that's you know it's the yin and the yang yeah, yeah and that's yeah. what makes them work like i i know one dj duo i won't go into whom because i don't know if, if they want to be outed but like uh when i found out how they travel is they actually it's completely separate they've been doing it for a while now and uh, you know the fly they don't sit together on the plane um oh. they don't really even talk to each other in, so in the gate kill each other or what well, yeah, but that's what it comes down to. Like, there's no problems with each other. They just are like, listen, if we uh, kind of keep a certain space, like, we can we're continue cool. to be friends and we're cool. Yeah. And at first I thought that was so weird, but then when it I think about sense. it more, it's kind of amazing, well, it, you know? It, I mean, this is a very, you know, polar example, but, like, uh, um, uh, Elena Bohem Carter and uh, oh. Richard... Uh, what's it called? The Batman guy? Yeah, Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Yeah. They, they're married, but they don't have their own uh, flat on top of the other one mm-hmm. because they don't want to leave live with each other and, you know, hate each other. And I think that's completely valid in every sense, like in the traveling way and the other way. And it's a very mature, cold decision, which I think is smarter than much things because... When you're friends, you think like, oh, this will be the shit. And I mean, we can talk it out. 
but at one point somebody gets butt hurt, the other one also oh, yeah, because man. somebody didn't say this. It, not even what they said. It's like what wasn't said, or even like like couples uh, minutia, you know. Totally. And no wonder they end up splitting because it's always hard to live or compromise your own thing for the others. I mean, I think almost anybody in their 20s that's had the roommate situation go down, they've lost boyfriends or girlfriends or best friends in the process. Uh, I know, like, I've had some pretty shaky times with friends and best friends that I've lived with. And, I mean, we're all cool now, but, like, that really is a test. And I was actually talking to someone yesterday, and they were talking about how someone had been living together or well they were in a relationship for seven years but then they uh you know they still have their own spots and it's kind of crazy but it's also awesome in a way because even if you're at someone's house a lot the other time you still have this space where it's just like Your you know space. what I, I need my own space for the night yeah, i want i want to hog the bed to myself tonight and uh I mean, it, you know, when you ask most people, like, why'd you move in together? They're like, well, we're always in the same place and it's to save money because that's important. You know, I'm, I get it. I've done the same thing and I will do so in the future. But if you can actually do that separate living thing, it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's at the end, it's a uh, social convention, you know? If, like, yeah, this is the, the steps of a relationship. You first meet and you mm -hmm. do this, then you move to that thing and that the other... And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I, I don't, by now, I don't think there's any specific rule. And if people are like the honeymooners that used to sleep in separate beds or mm -hmm. then somebody snores and somebody sleeps in another bed, anything works, you know? If they're happy and have their own apartment, you know, yeah. good for Everybody's them. different. Yeah, and obviously there are people in love and when you're reducing it to someone you work with in a way, and travel with, which is also or, uh, already irritating or exhausting, you know, taxing. Then keeping civil and friend and friendly and you know, understanding and playing the role, whatever the role it is you play within a uh, friendship, mm -hmm. you have to do that. Like that's that's your role oh, all definitely. the time. So at one point, that that will be friction. Yeah, of course. You know, it's just inevitable. Yeah. So. Um, we're getting kind of far into the podcast here. We've learned a lot about uh, kind of your past, what kind of stuff you're making, your, your kind of views on, on making music. But as far as, uh, you know, a little bit more personal about you, do you have like some certain hobbies you might want to go into or I, I don't, some bullshit you're I, watching? I, I, or um, I switched from watching all the bullshit religiously to mm -hmm. watching none, which became this work, moving here and just focusing on the studio and stuff. My hobby is uh, breaking something in the studio and fixing it lately. Um, but the last months have been shifting to the new setup. And I was also, I spent a lot of time, I got frustrated with the sets. Mm -hmm. And not specifically because it was this uh, music or that music or this whatever. It was like the approach to it, you know, as an it's separate elements, maybe try this one on this one and filter it in. And like the, I don't know, something felt like stale. So I spent a lot of time thinking on how could I have an improv uh, approach to it without, uh, without being too uncertain that it might flop or I'm not, I'm not uh, gonna feel comfortable with the result. And eventually I came up with what worked for me and I've been trying to and and it worked actually. I took it uh, uh, when I played that Perkins show you mentioned. 
that was the first that time was recently I, yeah. yeah that was the first time i, I kind of tried I tried it all and it kind of worked so I'm, i was happy with that so it's actually pretty much all revolving about music uh, on music so yeah i find myself right now dedicated just like you i mean i do have hobbies or things that i enjoy and then i was thinking about it lately and i've had a little bit more free time in the last month or two and i'm like i realize like shit i've I've basically forgone all my hobbies. I, I mean, it sounds kind of horrible, but I actually think I enjoy that this is my hobby, you know? I enjoy mm -hmm. that this is... The, it blurs the, the line between enjoying your work as in, yeah, you just you want to do that uh, because it kind of draws you. And um, and I hope I can you know milk it as long as, I, as it lasts. And also it has to do with you don't have all the time in the world, so you better, you know, get to it as yeah. soon as you can. So I mean, like, I have so many things that I would like to accomplish as a musician, either before I die or start a family or get sick of it. I don't think I'll ever get sick of it, but just before the end of it, whatever happens, for whatever, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not to get too deep into it, but you just, you know, you got to make the most of your time. And if that's what you really want to do, you know, just fuck, why not? Yeah. Well, I'm, like I brought it up on the podcast, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks ago. And we were, we were actually talking about it in the car today on the way back from Super Booth. We were talking about like all the old Detroit guys right now and how they're in their 40s and early 50s and they're just pumping stuff out. And it's just like. Actually, talking about Detroit, remember Drexia? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the dude knew he had a terminal disease at one point. But what he wanted to do, he just made more music, you know, yeah. because, I mean, I would, I like to think I would try, I would be that way. I don't obviously, you never know till you're that situation, but making music is actually a, a good legacy in, in any matter. You know, so. mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would like to think that, uh, well, I mean, if, if it came down to that and I had, unfortunately, like a terminal disease or something, I would... Well, I guess it depends how rich I would be at the time. If I had, for some reason, a ton of money, I'd be like, fuck it, we're going here, there, or try this, that, or the other thing. But if I, if it was just like right now, um, I would just be like, obviously keep the friends and family close, but I'm just going to keep my head down and do what I've been doing is yeah. make music. And yeah, This uh, is like you're, you try to get as good as you, get, as you can be as soon as possible, like the whole Jiro thing. Granted, that dude is 90-something or 80. Is he that old now? He must be 90 by now. For what? For for people who were talking about, uh, what is it? Iro makes sushi? Or Jiro, Jiro, uh, Jiro dreams of sushi. Dreams of sushi. It's yeah, on Netflix. It's a documentary. It's a, yeah. It's it's uh, everything's perfect about it, and the whole notion of doing the same thing every day and trying to do better. Obviously, it's very Japanese, and I wish I would have that discipline. But uh, yeah, that's. Uh, hopefully you can do something you love that much that you want to do it better every fucking day then. oh yeah definitely i mean i that's just it, that's what it comes down to like uh it doesn't matter what task you're doing in life you uh, if you do it enough every day you will get better at it i'm not going to say you'll be a master because that's mm -hmm. just not possible but yeah. and and yeah too somber like, yeah what, think about the end already well, let's let's switch it up then. We could think about the end of the podcast, but not the not the end, the the end. But um, so uh, you got anything coming up that you want to plug? Gigs, remixes, records. Um, 
the next blank code is coming up, which is uh, the f- stuff we started working on, Mo and myself. Um, that uh, this is uh, straight up techno, less dark and less banging than usual or expected, and um, that's that'll be out like next month. We just did the release on Tip Top. Uh, I think I linked to the video. Somebody yeah. did a video. Saw one of the records things. today. They look great. Yeah, and like this guy from art school in Florence liked the track, did an assignment with it, and animated a Bosch. Uh, um, the uh, what's it called? A trip, a three-piece thing, a painting called the the Garden of the. Oh Night. yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, that's he, a, such a great painting. Yeah, yeah, and he. Mo sent it, sent it to me, and is it, and I never thought of combining that kind of imagery with that kind of well, music. Well, that painting and it kind is of a fits bit perfect. It's yeah, pretty dark. it's pretty dark. Uh, but it's very what's colorful. it called again for those who the are Garden of Delights? I I hope I'm not I'm not fucking it up, but it is. Um, I have it on the Facebook thing, so yeah, go to his Facebook and uh, Tip Top Audio yeah. has it on its website um, also. It's one of those pictures when you're like, okay, I've seen it at some point. It's uh, vaguely, if you just glance at it, it's like a bunch of people that are almost in a park in a, or something yeah, like that. In a party. And, yeah. With a, a lot of non-people elements in it. Mm, yeah. yeah. It's pretty and, twisted. Yeah, and the dude just uh, thought he should animate this thing to the track we did. And it's I really, I think it's a very good clip, whatever it is, video clip or music clip or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, Mo is lucky that way that stuff happens around him. So... You know, I think, I mean, part of it is being in L.A. where there's a lot of creative people that go there and they want to, I mean, of course, Hollywood's kind of what helps pay the bills, but it doesn't allow, allow them to be creative. So he, he knows all these people that seem to make well, it click. Yeah, he he gets every everything on the on the first whiff as in now it's going to be VCRs, now it's going to be tapes and mm-hmm. like stuff that we tell, he tells me, I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm looking for old v, like old v, VHS tapes and I'm like, why? Oh, because there's a thing, uh, really? Like, oh, like and then it is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's kind of the, the culture that's going on out there. And that's a nice thing about like the interface parties and stuff. People that are working on these shows or doing visuals or whatever, these are people that also have like pretty fucking impressive Hollywood credits to their name. Or like Derek Michael with a, with a, uh, yeah. Eyeballs or it, is it eyeballs? So I can't uh for the I, the iPad thing, the the protection. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. The the corners. Yeah, the type balls things. and then he's doing a camper now also it's like branching off into weirder uh yeah, it's an interesting Crazy. place uh to meet people. Mm-hmm. But uh it's kind of funny because you know, I I personally refer to it as like the droid house, but like you guys are all having sharing a place here in Berlin. So yeah, that's it's a it's a big place and a huge place for Berlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like I said, it was lucky in a lot of ways. Also, that everybody started spending a lot of time here, so we kind of share it and and have the studio there and so on and so forth. And it, it's I mean, it's, I like it when when I spend a few nights there. There's nobody, but at one time it's like how what's happening in the other side of the thing sure and obviously having people around is always good especially if it's uh dave and the, the other two fm yeah i mean it's um it's do you see those guys more now that they're yep, completely. yeah i mean 
yesterday uh, we used to chat more or skype more or whatever more because that was pretty much it once or twice a year uh that we played together but now it's we we're actually touring more together um and they're here i'm not gonna say at least a third of the year pretty much oh if not more you know like yeah. uh Remember last fall they were here for a good solid couple months. Yeah, yeah, like during eighty and stuff. Yeah, yeah, some wild times. <laughs> but um, yeah, cool. I think we're gonna wrap it up because it's it's getting a little late on the podcast here. But uh, thanks for stopping in, man. No, actually, thank you for having me. I've been I listened to the first episode up to now, and uh, I really it's become a thing. What was the worst quick. one? No, I'm not what gonna was put you on the spot. That's weird. That's that's a weird question. Any one of them that I ran my mouth too much, basically. But yeah. no, but. I actually really enjoy the intros where you go, what's happening with this thing with stop it? That's, yeah. Uh, like this monologue from uh, from monologue from the from the Tonight Show kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to. Sometimes I feel like I got to get shit off my chest, but I don't. I think it's super valid. I mean, people usually take criticism badly or personally. I, I, I mean, even everybody yeah. does it. But in reality, it's like because somebody doesn't like it doesn't mean nobody likes it sure. or the other way. Well, I, I guess I just have this. Maybe it's like an insecurity thing or whatever. But you know, you're on YouTube and then you you click on I don't know a clip from an old favorite movie, and then on the related thing, there's this like uh, reaction to uh, yeah. that, and then you click on it, and it's just this fucking person that's going on for ten <laughs> minutes about. How the people in the comments—they're terrible people—and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, nobody gives a fuck about your opinion. But and why are you videotaping yourself? That's and a funny. I mean, I am completely, I completely agree with you. As in, who are you? Why are your credentials? Yeah. Why are you blah blah blah? But then again, how many? There are a lot of people going like, yeah, he's funny. I'm going to listen to him. And then they have like their own following, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. True. And at the end of the day, anybody can think whatever they want. I mean, and that doesn't mean they hate the other person personally as in like yeah yeah i don't like it that track he should die i mean that's a very hard jump in my opinion that's pretty common on the internet <laughs> yeah yeah that uh the internet is uh that's a very good that's a whole show yeah, on its yeah, own yeah, man yeah, we, we, we've gone into it a lot on the show too like internet yeah. critics and but i don't know if it's actually real or not or friends that i used to think i knew very good mm -hmm. became as somebody else when they were on facebook and i'm like who, the, who like I couldn't oh, yeah, relate man. one I've, to the other, but what which one is the real one kind of stuff? I uh, have friends where you know maybe they're even mutual friends where it's just like you know what this person is great in person, a lot of fun, and then they come on and it's just like they're the they seem like the most miserable or they're in a soapbox sad. all the time. Yeah, or like projecting, and it's like well, yeah, it's super weird. whether you're right or not. Who gave you the authority to decide this? Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. I mean, and that's yeah. that's why I don't really like to um, engage engage that too much because I don't want to be the grumpy man on the soapbox. Or the thing but, is, that always sounds like the grumpy man because even if you're contradicting somebody, yeah. criticizing something, it sounds like you're fighting. But it, in in reality, it's like, well, you want to like it, good. You don't want to like it, good. But you, also, you don't have to voice it as as personal. Mm -hmm. Uh, mission or yeah. you know deny it as another personal mission just relax about it well in the other part about the podcast is it you know a lot of people that do write in they they say they enjoy the the guests and stuff but more importantly they say they learn a lot about it or like they 
things come to light that they didn't think of. Like even promoters are like, dude, I never uh, thought of I this. And to me, know. to me, it's been I like Anthony. You had last. Yeah, I know the dude. He's yeah. always been a nice dude. After the podcast, actually, I like the dude. I, yeah, yeah, because it it feels more personal than it would be a a normal conversation if I ran into him. So sure. yeah, I think it's it's really good. That that's another goal is like I want eventually to get to a point where people can kind of trust like maybe this person's worth hearing out. Uh, you know, like there's some people who have no clue who Louis Flores is, but I'm maybe sure a after lot of this, because <laughs> yeah, and after this to be like I'm totally into this guy or you know maybe uh now my I know music why tastes are, are not that hard or you know what i mean and mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean the whole mike parker episode mm-hmm. uh i mean i've i know the name again i i i don't follow the latest releases and the labels and stuff just because um but when i heard that he was a teacher in art school and that tg was the first thing that kind of yeah. flipped etc cetera, etc cetera, I mean, now I'm interested in the dude, you know, because the, it gives context to whatever he's doing. So yeah. that, that that's actually what's missing in a lot of uh, stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of these interviews that come out are very basic. You know, I just read a, I won't say who, but I read an interview that was posted on RA the other day from another site uh, about a bigger name. And then you read it and it's just like the most... Uh, basic pc uh, basic like i just yeah. want to bring love to the fans and i'll like fuck dude i don't even know who you are as a person after this but it seems like very like you're a politician you no, know yeah. and, and also i'm sure the the questions are geared towards uh, uh it's very piece. generic yeah, yeah. and yeah. i'm not saying like we get down to some well i mean it sometimes it gets a little deep or whatever but it's not a serious podcast yeah uh, but i mean talk talk uh, radio or talk shows yeah. or whatever uh I mean, this is kind of like the first in this realm. Maybe the Rave Curious There's a couple thing. other things going on, yeah. but, you know. At least um, for me, it was like, oh, that's somebody I know. That's somebody I know. And it, and then I actually learned more about them through this than, you know, yeah. knowing them. So I, I think that's... Uh, and I, I hope that um, more pop up later, um, you know, doing their own thing, whether they're going for a different angle you know, like I know Josh over at Rave Kiris, he wants to know more about party stories. Actually, I do too, but uh, a, lot of, stories. a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I'm not, we're not going to be talking about acid today. <laughs> Unless you're Kurt X, he'll talk about it for hours. No, but when you did the, what was this, um, even further? The further yeah, that dudes? Kurt X, yeah. Uh, uh, um, that shit's hilarious and I re- interesting. You I know? mean, I, I learned about them through the this Trans Europe uh, compilations. They did mm-hmm. three of them, I think. And one of them was... Uh, he had a couple of, or their label had a couple of tracks, or Woody, or I don't know something. Drop Bass was that. a big fucking network. label back yeah. in the day, you know. And and I completely forgot about them till you had mm-hmm. him on. I was like, oh shit, that guy from that year, goddamn. Yeah. And and obviously a lot of people weren't even listening to this stuff then. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I thought that was a a jewel. Yeah, interesting stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for listening to it. No, no, thank you, man. And um, I would say I'll see you soon, but the reality is I'm going to see you probably tomorrow. (laughs) So have a good one. Yeah, I do. Later.